Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and whether you're joining us live or on archive, thank you so much. We are embarking on a new venture, and you guys know that I have no problem with new ventures. We've had some interesting people on the show. We have Rabbi, who does his regular show. We have the Zohar 15 program. Uh, We've got the Kabbalah programs. We have all kinds of stuff happening, but one of the things I've always thought about was, you know, talking about, everybody talks about them social justice and some of the challenges of our society. We have a lot of armchair quarterbacks who are out there yelling, you know, this kind of fake moral outrage or upset about whatever they're upset about. But nothing really gets done. Nothing productive gets done. And and so I was like, okay, well, one thing I knew right away, I know this will shock you to hear this coming from me, is I am not an expert on very many things. Um, and so there's some things I'm just not qualified to talk about. And so that was a great excuse for me to say, well, hey, I don't need to talk about this because I don't know about it. Or I don't need to talk about that. I don't know about it. But over the course of the last month or so, I've been watching on Facebook a Facebook friend of mine. We'll be talking about this in just a moment. And she began to bring up a very uncomfortable subject uh, to be talked about privately, much less to be talking about it in social media and getting this out here. And and so that's what we're going to be talking about. But what really inspired me was – um, I started thinking about my experiences with it myself. I'm pretty fortunate. Um, I grew up in Southern California when it was great to live there. I had a pretty great childhood. Um, I'm a man. I'm a white guy. I mean, I, I check all the boxes. But there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world. There's a lot of horrible things that happen to people that shouldn't happen to them. And we can't pretend like these things don't happen, but we also need to understand why they happen and what's ours to do. So when my guest tonight was talking on her Facebook page about tough subjects, sexual assault, um, shaming victims, uh, rape culture, um, that was hard stuff to see. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder how much this is real. So I sent out an email to my former students and asked the lady, if you've ever had an experience with, don't have to define it, but if you ever had an experience with any of these particular topics, and I listed five or six things, you don't need to worry about what they were. I got 17 responses back. All 17 said, yes, we've been there. And that really shocked me. But the one that really got me, and I'm not going to give you any details because it doesn't matter, but my wife and I were out at a one of our kids' basketball game cheering on uh, one of our sons, you know, hopefully to victory, and caught wind of this, uh, some parents that were sitting in front of us and their daughter had been walking somewhere back from school or back through the neighborhood and there had been a, a couple of guys in a car, and they were 
harassing her, and and she was she could tell she was physically shaken from this experience. And at some point, we said, "Hey, we should probably talk to the police." And her kind of gut level instant reaction was, "No, I don't want to do that." And I thought to myself, "All right, all right, what in the world is going on? What's happening?" What's happening is that something that should be absolutely detestable to us, something that should be in the highest framework of an offense to us, has become almost a joke. We've got jokes about it. We've got – but we're dismissing the fact that this is real. And sadly, we're dismissing the people that these things are happening to as as not real. So we've got to talk about it. Now, my guest tonight, her name is Rebecca. That's as far as I'm going to go as far as who she is. She can tell you more about it. Um, If you want to learn more about her and you need to, look on the page site, and you're going to see uh, a brief bio of her. And the last thing I'm going to tell you is if you have any comments or questions, you can send them via email to dfour26 at dfour26 at gmail.com or uh, go to Facebook, type in Restoring Grace, and you can send me a message. If you have something productive, a great comment, a question for her, I'll pass it along. If you say something ridiculous or stupid, I'll just delete you. So, you know, choose your words carefully. Now, moving forward, I don't know what to expect. I do not know um, how graphic and how detailed this is going to get, how many episodes we're going to do. Parents listening to this show, I recommend you listen to yourself first and then determine from there what part you should have your kids involved. But I have to tell you, I think your kids need to be involved. At some point, they need to be involved. There is a shortage of people that are talking about this subject. There's a shortage of people that want to address it, but there is no shortage of people who are suffering from the effects of it. That's why we're here. So joining me, and she's here live, by the way. Most of the time I get people on the phone. She's here live, so I get to look in her eyes and watch what's going to be happening here, and hopefully she can uh, get this, is Rebecca. And she's going to start talking to us a little bit about some some preliminary things we discussed to kind of get the conversation going. So, Rebecca, thank you for joining us, and welcome. Thank you, David. Are you all right? Me? I'm good. I'm okay, good. all right. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, and I am going to take a moment to kind of define or, or qualify some terms that I'm going to use. Um, and I want to say that this could be a trigger warning all too often, I'm not that sensitive about some of the things that I post on Facebook, and I need to be. It could trigger um, victims of this, certainly. So there's a trigger warning. Um, and we are going to be talking about the rape culture. Now, what I mean primarily when I talk about the rape culture is rape myth acceptance. Huge problem for us. We've all contributed to it. And we would like to, and I, and I appreciate, David, so much the, the platform that you're giving me and us, um, and I plan to have some guests on, such as my daughter. Um, I have a couple daughters and one son. Um, and we're just going to have conversation about, because it needs to happen. And your, your stories, um, especially that last one where the young lady um, didn't want to contact the police. I can understand that. I relate to that, and it doesn't surprise me in the light, in the slightest, um, because most people are afraid to go up against the rape myth acceptance. And so, throughout our episodes, I think what we need to do is discuss what exactly the rape myths are, um, and what I mean when I say rape. First of all, it's different in every state, that term uh, for legal purposes. 
federally, they've defined it as sexual assault, meaning penetration. So when federally you talk about rape, you are talking about, you know, penetration, sexual assault. In Colorado here, we use the term sexual assault to define penetration. But when I'm talking about the rape culture, what I am going to talk about is um, all kinds of sexual abuse. I want it to incorporate all types of sexual abuse. So when I say rape culture or rape myth acceptance, I'm not just talking about sexual assaults. I'm talking about um, sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse, date rape, gang rape, marital rape, pedophilia, incest rape. And, and that's another thing that keeps victims from coming forward too is they're not quite sure if what happened to them would constitute rape or not. You know, it's not the typical stranger by force, you know, rape that you would see on a movie. But, in fact, they don't know how to put words to it. They just know that they feel violated. And chances are they were. We're going to cover all kinds of um, even disaster area rape, which you wouldn't think happens, but it happens. It happens. It happened in Haiti. It happened in Katrina. Um, and we'll discuss why it happens there. Even wartime rape is still prevalent in countries like South Africa. You know, it's used as psychological warfare against victims. And what I want mostly to come across in these shows is that, and if we can get this as a community, we can be better off, is that anybody can be a sexual abuser. Anybody can be a rapist. Anybody. People assume that someone who commits an act of, of um, sexual offense is some sort of deviant or they're mentally ill or they're evil, surely they'd be able to recognize them and we as a community needs to, you know, have better, um, you know, have more justice for the victims of those deviants. But they are anybody, anybody, your next door neighbor, your brother in my case, also in my case, my stepson, and he was raised by cops. If we can get it through our, our heads that anybody can be a rapist, I'll say rapist, but a sexual abuser, and also at the same token, nobody is immune from rape. And I want to also make it very clear that rape is 100% the rapist's fault. When we talk about rape myth acceptance and rape culture, I'm not saying at all that we contribute to rape rape. Because we do not. What we do is we don't support victims. And we may never know the amount of victims there are. We, we may never know. In fact, I guarantee you, we never will know. Um, and also, rape myth acceptance affects males. I want to make that clear. This isn't some sort of feminist agenda. Um, I know some of my viewers might be thinking this is a feminist agenda, but it's not. In fact, rape myth acceptance affects males just as much. Women are not any more important victims than males are, um, but statistics are males offend against females at a higher rate than females offend against males. It's just how it is. Um, but we'll never know, unfortunately. We'll never know the amount. And especially if we continue on with this rape culture and continue in an environment um, where our attitudes affect have the effect of normalizing rape, it should never be normalized. Again, when I say rape, I mean sexual abuse. Um, and we tr tend to trivialize sexual assault 
Um, and the biggest thing we tend to do is not understand the damage it does cause. It will manifest itself in ways for the victims the rest of their life, in, in odd ways too. I didn't realize that it had even affected me until one of my daughters disclosed. Um, I always thought, and this is part of the rape myth acceptance, I always thought I was strong because I didn't cry about it. It didn't bring tears to my eyes when I thought about it. But it was manifesting itself in other ways, um, you know, by avoidance, avoidance of, of patterns. You do certain things to change. Those are all symptoms of PTSD, which I was diagnosed with PTSD years and years and years ago, and they said it was because of childhood sexual abuse. And I literally laughed at them and thought, well, it doesn't affect me. And I thought I was just so strong. Here I was, this, you know, defender of, of innocence and all this, and, and even myself being a police officer in a male-dominant world, I contributed to the rape culture. I believed rapeness a lot. Um, and I think that is a huge problem for victims coming forward too, is they have to penetrate first, um, the police. And that's really scary to do. They send out a police officer. Typically you give them a call, they send out a cop in uniform, you know, pretty intimidating. And it's probably going to be a male. It's a male dominant career. It's a male dominant field. So more than likely, it's going to be a male, and that's really hard for victims to come forward against a personal, um, a personal violation. But you have to first penetrate a police officer, and some victims don't think that they'll be believed, and some aren't believed, and and that's insane to me, especially childhood victims. It's absolute abuse to not believe childhood victims or child victims, they do not make this stuff up. Um, now I will say, yes, sometimes it does happen, but that's the, I think the number one biggest rape myth is that women are lying. Most women lie or they're doing it to get back at somebody. Um, no, most women do not lie. And that's, that's a, a rape myth that hurts all of us. It hurts um, victims from coming forward. And to this day, Victims are still put on trial, basically, for their behavior, for what they're wearing, their their emotions or lack of emotions. It still happens to this day, and victims are terrified of that. And there's not, you know, if a victim isn't believed, that does not mean that it didn't happen. If if a if somebody a perpetrator is found not guilty, that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. You know, our system's flawed. And it means that a jury of 12 found someone to be more believable because so oftentimes there's not evidence. You know, you want to say, well, if this really happened to her, why isn't the guy in jail? Why, you know, wasn't he found guilty? Well, well, there's many reasons. And we put sexual assault right up in the taxonomy of crimes. We put it right next to, you know, murder. But very few people spend time for it in jail. But so that doesn't surprise me, that story of that young woman. And I'm glad. And you, you talked to me about that story before. Um, just so you guys know, they ended up finding the guys. Um, thank goodness. And they were brought to justice. Um, 
but because several other people reported it. Now imagine if several other people didn't report it, which happens, then they'd still be out there. So, and so I have a question for you. There's a lot of things that are illegal. A lot of things are illegal. Murder is illegal. Right. <clears throat> Somebody gets murdered, and the police investigate that, and, and there's a campaign of people, hey, justice for David because he got murdered. That robbery is illegal. I'm walking through the Safeway parking lot. Guy runs up, sticks a gun in my face, give me your wallet, and everybody's like, we got to find justice for this guy. At no point does the cop say to me, well, why were you carrying that much money on you? Yeah. Or what were you doing in the Safeway parking lot at 11 o'clock at night? Well, they were open. Right. Well, it doesn't matter what I'm doing here. How did we get to the point where in a murder, this is justice for the victim, in a robbery, they wouldn't ask me what I was wearing. Right. But somehow, and, and you just said a moment ago, you said, listen, on the scale of these things, <clears throat> sexual assault, <clears throat> and I believe that some of the larger police departments have special units that handle these particular types of crimes. You said these are on the top tier. Yeah. But yet the victims aren't treated in what you're saying. It doesn't sound like to me that the victim of a rape is not the same kind of questions that they would ask me if I got robbed. Absolutely. And somehow I'm asked to survive it. Right. Right. And and nowhere else in in the criminal justice system does a victim have to prove um, more than in a sexual assault. They have to prove that they, you know, either fought the rapist off or um, how many times they've said no, and they, they're, they're just put on trial, and that's not a secret. All victims know that. And, and most often when I hear somebody who um, discloses something like that to me and I ask them if they went to the police, and just for my own purposes I'll ask them, why didn't you go to the police? It's, well, because I don't want to be put on trial. I don't want to answer what I had to wear that night. And, and I think – it boils down to um, gender roles play a huge part in it too, because we tend to, even in, in, in our innocence, we tend to objectify women, their sexual objects or their objects. I mean, even look at, look at weddings, for example. Um, you, you know, the, the bride is, is supposed to wear white to, to show her value as a virgin. And the, the male, the father, walks her down the aisle. They ask, who gives this man to this, or this woman to this man? I mean, from the very beginning, I think we're, we're sexualized and we're objectified at, at the very least. And so when, especially in, in a religious, you know, upbringing, you know, if you have sex other than to reproduce, then you're considered dirty or weird, at least in, in my uh, religion I grew up in, but we're we're pretty objectified our whole lives. We even have to watch what we wear in schools. Why is that? And they say it to this day because we're a distraction for the boys. I was told this in my latest job. I couldn't do yoga with the men, but a less attractive female could because I would be a distraction. Okay. I mean, and I wow. I worked in a correctional facility. Um, I didn't particularly want to do yoga with the men, but they asked and I asked and, and that was, that was what I was told was I'd be a distraction, but a less attractive woman and I'd be a distraction because I'm attractive. So less attractive woman was able to do yoga with them and wasn't a distraction. 
and we tend to not hold males responsible for their own behavior. We tend to think that females are for their gratification. And, and it's unfair to the men, too, that we put them through that. Um, and just look at if a woman has, has multiple sexual partners, she's loose or whatever. But if a man does, he's a champ. And that's, it, it affects males, too. And it also seems like, yeah, I just, while you were saying that, I was thinking, like, you've heard the term trophy wife, but I, there's no trophy husband. Well, I love that. I've uh, never I, had I, one. I love that. I, he's a trophy husband. <laughs> but it's also, one of the things I thought about after we had talked the other day about getting the, getting this episode, we, I was thinking about how many things filter into this line of thinking. You brought up the objectifying. I thought about, like, the trophy wife. I thought about how that um, is 2020. It's 2020, and we're having a conversation about, hey, do we think that women should be paid the same amount of money? I know it's a completely different subject. The same amount of money for doing the job that men. God bless the industry that I'm in. That's never been a problem. Day one to today, if you're doing what I'm doing, you're making what I make, period. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. But I do see that. So mm-hmm. we have the objectifying. We have, we're talking about pay equality. We're talking about 1920. We're like, yeah, maybe we should let them vote. But it seems like that whole wave. So, it like like some of the things get settled. Oh, we're gonna let you guys vote. We're gonna let you we're guys let you guys, <laughs> let you guys vote. Okay. You made such a big stink about it. So <laughs> right. we finally we don't want to hear this anymore. Shut you up. Yeah, to shut you up. We'll yeah. let you vote. Not that it really matters, but we're gonna let this go on. Even though some of the doors have opened, the thought process and the way people see things, mm-hmm. and more significantly, and this is the part that bothers me the most. I have to put myself in check. You have to raise people to think certain ways. Correct. You know, I like I have I have the boys. I'm, I I raise them, and like the only thing that kids hate is naps. That's it. <laughs> yeah. They hate naps. That's good. And car seats. They don't yeah. like going in car seats. Yeah. Everything else, they've watched me and said, okay, well, Dad hates this. I'm going to hate this too. Mm-hmm. You think of things like racism. That's something that somebody had to tell somebody. You don't like that guy, and the kids like, yeah. Yeah. And it seems like we have this giant wave of activity that not just – it's not – we're just talking about rape. I'm talking about how men – and you said earlier, this is not a feminist agenda. I agree with that. But the fact of the matter is we can't dodge the issues either. The issue is this is a male-dominated issue. It's how we see you guys. It's how we talk to you. It's how we treat you. Yeah. Um, the very fact – like when her and I got married, one of the things that we talked about right away was you're not ditching your last name. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like like we need one more we need one more of my kind running around. The things that we talk about say seem so silly, but yet every one of these contribute to to somebody who says, Yeah, it's okay if you do that to her. Yes. Because of what she wore. Like I said, no one's like, No what I just want to meet the cop is like, Well, how much money did he claim me? Hundred dollars. Well, why'd you have a hundred dollars on you? Yeah. What's that got to do with it? Right. Now you said something that really caught my attention. I want to talk about triggers. In society, we often talk about triggers in these very positive ways. You smell something and it reminds me, oh, that reminds me of Rebecca. Or I see her song, that was when Jan and I did this. But actually, there's more negative triggers. Yeah. In sociology, we studied it. In psychology, we studied it. And I think what happens is, is it possible that we look at some people's behavior and we go, man, why would she say something like that to me? And why would this person not go here? These things you're talking about. That they get carried in a person's persona for years. There is no safe landing place for them to talk about it. Right. Nobody believes it happened. Right. You asked for it. Why were you wearing this? 
How much did you have to drink? How much did you have to drink? Yeah. Well, the first time, and this is what it really gets me. Well, the first time you did it, you said yes. Right. Then you said no. And why was it, why was it okay? When you start adding this, how does somebody just simply walk around with this horror of this event? And how do we help? I mean, what do we need to do so that, so that somebody can say, this happened to me? I'm raising my hand. This happened to me. And let them talk. Because it seems like, to me, when you said triggers, I thought to myself, that could be anything. Yes. <laughs> and it could be. I have the most bizarre triggers because of sexual abuse. I get dizzy around redheads because uh, one of my uh, sexual abusers as a child was a redheaded babysitter. And um, I, I get triggered around, well, like that movie, The Christmas Story, when he says he has yellow eyes. I swear to God, he has yellow eyes. That's, that movie is one of my triggers. I get triggered by certain names. And, and I thought I was capable of going through life and not having anything bubble up. I, I had to have this face. I had to be strong. I had a, a dirty little secret my whole life. I didn't disclose my sexual abuse about my brother to the police until 25 years after the fact. But it happens beyond your control. And I'm telling you now, if you think that you're just too strong to handle it and you can handle it and you don't cry and you don't get triggered, you're going to get triggered one of these days. And either you deal with it now or you're going to have to deal with it later. And that's fine. That's fine. There's no timeline for this kind of stuff. But us talking about this now, maybe it'll make somebody think, you know what, I'm not alone. Because that alone, my daughter said the other day, if you tell your daughters, that you're not alone and it wasn't your fault could keep them alive. And just us talking about it, I've had so many women disclose to me, they'll give me messages and tell me what happened to them. I had a friend, um, a very good friend, a psychologist, a friend of mine I was talking to today, he disclosed sexual abuse to me. And I'm hearing it more often than ever from male victims. I hear it a lot more now. And so I think just dialogue like this opens it up. The Me Too movement was huge for that. The Slut Walk was huge for that. This movement is good for it. And, yes, I'm going to call it a movement um, because it's going to move us to change at least, even if it changes just one person. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're here to do. I'm not here to offend anybody. I'm not here to spout off, although I will have statistics from here from time to time. We are just here to open dialogue about this. And, and it's important. It's so important. It could save lives. And something I just thought about. So <clears throat> it's like there's this great saying about heaven and hell. i got to use this one. Uh -oh. I, I, I've taught classes, and I tell people yeah. all the time, there's three things about heaven I want, I want you to know. Number one is you'll be surprised who's there. I said the second thing is you'll be surprised who's not there. The third thing is you'll be surprised that you're there. And when we think of these people, it's like, not only are we completely surprised that, well, that guy's not capable of doing that. Stop. You said in the beginning of this, anyone is. Everyone is. Everyone. Okay. We'd also be surprised to find out who's been through it. Yeah. Because you just said a minute ago that for 25 years, wasn't that exhausting? I mean, at, at what point were you at a point in your life where you're like, this, I would be horrible at it. I think I would, just, I don't know what I would do. I, I don't know. I don't think I would have had the ability, because part of what you said I really connect with. Part of the male thing that sucks for us, we don't have very many things that suck for us. We really don't. But one of them is don't cry, buck mm -hmm. up, get through it, yeah. get over it. And so I would have tried that for a long time. Well, yeah, that didn't happen, but it did happen. 
So tell me about, for example, and we always say this, this is a, a buzz phrase at Restoring Grace, seeking help is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of wisdom. If you're in the spot that Rebecca's talking about tonight, and you need, you think, hey, I should seek out professional help, do it. Do it. Don't hesitate. You owe it to yourself, not to anyone else, but to yourself, to be the best version of yourself you can be. And let me tell you, some of these therapists are very, very smart people. They're very qualified. They understand how to help get some of this out in a safe place where bringing this kind of stuff out isn't something that's going to hit the front page or wind up in church or whatever. Go ahead. Actually, um, therapists are mandatory reporters, just just so people know um, listening that it, when you report sexual abuse to a therapist, they have got they have no choice but to contact the police. Um, be prepared for that, and, and I'm not discouraging that at all, but they have a duty to report, so they will do that. That's actually how my daughter came out with it. She didn't disclose to me. Um, she ended up in mental hospital after mental hospital, and I think she was at her fifth one before she even told the therapist. And 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 it, that kind of removes it too for the parents, just because I think a lot of parents have the fear. Well, if so and so disclosed about a family member, what would I do? Well, you contact the police. That's what you do if, if you're not an abuser. Period. I mean, you just do. You believe children, and you do what you have to do. However, um, therapists will contact the police for you. So. That might help because I had a hard time when my daughter disclosed it happened to be my stepson. And I didn't want it to be him. I didn't, you know, who, and I never would have guessed. Me, an experienced investigator, you know, a victim, an expert in the, in the area, I would have never guessed. And it happened right underneath my nose. Um, and she didn't disclose it to me. But we need to be aware that we it's okay to get help it, it, and and you're not everybody's ready for help because i know i wasn't had it not been for my daughter's disclosure i never would have came out with it i still wouldn't have come out with it i'm sure so who knows what what will help people come out with it and and what avenue they want to take but there's a lot of agencies that don't have to report to the police department for example, TESA in our area, T-E-S-S-A, they don't have to report to the police about it, um, but therapists do. And that might be easier for parents knowing that, too. I've heard conversations, and I was doing some studying and researching as we were getting ready for this. I have to tell you, I, just being as honest as I can with you, I was more depressed after doing the research than I was talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Because some of the things I read in the research was like, this is impossible, that it can get to a point where the – you call it the rape myth culture – can get to the point where a victim can actually bring themselves to a place and say, I asked for it. Absolutely. Or I put myself in this position. Or I own part of this. I'd be willing to guess most victims do, especially childhood victims. I blamed myself for my abuse for a long time because of one of the defense mechanisms I used. A lot of children are abused in their sleep, for example, by members of their family. And what are they to do but to pretend to be asleep? That's a huge defense. And as a child, I can tell you, you're laying there, this stuff is going on, and you start to move and you, you think, you're, it's an act you're trying to, because you're terrified, you're awake, but you're trying to pretend to be asleep because that is your only defense. And you think that when you wake up, 
the person's going to run out of the room or stop doing what they're doing. Well, they don't always do that. And then you're left there being conscious of it. And, and people assume that victims have to fight off their perpetrator. And they're going to be asked that. Why didn't you fight them off? Why didn't you this and that? Because then it looks like you want it. It looks like it's, and for male victims, um, like if they get an erection while it's happening, they'll put them on the stand and say, well, you wanted it, you know, and it's hard to combat that. But it's not true, by the way. But, but you know, so there's a lot of victims who blame themselves, and the perpetrators count on that. They, they'll tell them themselves, you'll get in trouble and, and so on and so forth, or no one will believe you, or you want this. Um, and, and that's just, they count on that. So, uh, you know, a lot, lot of victims blame themselves. It's one of the great, the big things about great myth is, is um, and we support it by going through the court system and putting them on the stand. We've since um, had, we, we protect victims a little bit more now. Um, as far as childhood victims, we're not allowed, they're not allowed to take the stand. And that's a great thing because what five or six year old or even, you know, 12 or 16 year old wants to sit there and with the perpetrator looking them in the eyes and talk about it, they wouldn't do it. But now we take them to um, places who do, um, who do uh, interviews, forensic interviews. And there's only certain things they can ask and they can't lead them and things like that. But that interview is recorded and that recording is played and that's all they get. But that recording is played in, in there. But adult victims are going to be on the stand and it's terrifying. So a lot of women do blame themselves because of this rape culture. What were you wearing? How much did you have to drink? Um, I recently got into an argument with a young man who who made the comment that um, that blackout drunk women end up in random people's beds. And I said, well, wait a second. Blackout drunk people cannot consent legally. And he brought up, or, or one of his friends brought up, an important question that, that I think we'll cover here too um, in one of our episodes is, well, I can be blackout drunk and get in the car and go kill a, an entire family and I'm still held accountable, why can't I consent? What's the difference? Well, there's a huge difference. Um, the DUI laws are statutory, meaning there's no intent behind it. You don't have to have intent to go drive and kill a whole family. Um, but when someone is blackout drunk, um, the level that they have <clears throat> to be at is initially is 1.15, and it's evidently apparent to people around them that they're um, they're inhibited. It'll be they'll be falling down. Someone who's blackout drunk is not going to be walking around. Even if they can manage to get in a car for a minute and go kill an entire family, there's a reason they killed an entire family because they're not in control. So, and that brings up just even hearing you say that is getting the education out to people. So I'm in this group. There's 40 people in my house. I can't even imagine that. But there's 40 people in my house, and we're partying and listening to great music, and we're having – and we see someone who is – we'll say from this scenario, a lady who has just had too much to drink. She's just too much to drink. It's about taking responsibility for that individual yes. and being able to say, hey, uh, you are going to go sit in over here, and no one's going in there, and we're just going to give her a chance to – 
get her wheels back underneath her again. Because some of the stories that I read when I was doing the research, he dealt with what you just talked about, mm-hmm. how that this big, large thing, there's 80 people, all this activity, and then the next morning, somebody wakes up and realizes what has happened to them. Yeah. That's out of – I can't get my head around that. I understand it happens. I'm not denying that. I just can't get my head around the fact that there's 80 people who watch that go on. Yeah. You would think. You would think. At but. some point, you're like, that. she's not right in the head. Or he is, and let's do the right thing here. Yeah. Let's let's do the right thing here and stop something from getting you know out of hand. The thing that caught my attention with the trigger conversation is because there's so many things that happen in people's lives. We're always joking about like dogs and cats just do the most bizarre things. We always wonder like what in the world that dog thinking. We're not much that different. You see people do certain kinds of things. Um, the the shop that I work at, we have lots of elderly customers, and they just don't drive at night. They just don't. So the, one of the things they'll tell me, Dave, I need my car back by three o'clock. And it took me a while to finally catch up. What's this three o'clock time zone? Am I missing a meal at Denny's? Or then finally one of them said, Hey, stupid, we don't drive at night. It's like, oh, all right, smart, right, smart, reasonable behavior. But for them, dark is a trigger. I don't want to be out of dark. I can't see that well. I'm all right, great. But a lot of human behavior especially from sociology perspective, in groups, mobs, is part of this trigger. It's part of things that have happened to somebody that, that are unresolved conflict. How much of this unresolved conflict, when you finally talk to somebody who says, hey, I want to tell you about this, this unresolved conflict, yours was, you said 25 years? Yeah, yeah 25 that's years. That's a lot of steam. To me, that's a lot of activity, emotional activity and and so difficult to handle. A lot of victims develop uh, a very good way of shutting it off, denying it. Some victims don't even remember it happened to them, even though they can later recur, you know, recount facts of it. But some of them don't even remember. The brain is this, just an insanely amazing thing that, that does have the ability to to stop information Sometimes if it can't handle it, if it's too damaging, if it's too dangerous, I wouldn't go there, but it would manifest so many little ways like I would get dizzy. No one knew it. And believe me, when, when I was triggered, it was beyond, it just exploded. And I imagine it's like that for a lot of people. Um, you know, there were things that I did disclose. For example, I, I was about six years old and um my brother and my friend and I went up to a school that was nearby and a stranger was calling me down into the bushes. So, and I went, he was telling me, you know, your mom's down here. She says you won't get supper unless, you know, you come down here. And I, I went, my brother's trying to tell me not to go. My friend's trying to tell me not to go, but I, I went and there were two teenage males waiting in there for me and, and they did what they did. And I ran away well, it just so happened, and I told my mom. I ran back and told my mom. We're always learning about stranger danger anyway, and the police were called. And it just so happened that the friend I was with knew the man was her neighbor. So my expectation was, and, and this big giant, um, and he may have not been that giant, but I remember him as giant, brought a right. naked Cabbage Patch doll and in front of my brothers, you know, kind of tossed it, but um, – across the dining room table and said, tell me what they did to you on this Cabbage Patch doll. So I minimized that. I was totally embarrassed. 
you know, ashamed and everything that I let this happen. And I was wearing a bathing suit too at the time. And they lectured me about that too. They lectured my mother about it. But, but so I thought, okay, something happens to you. You tell mom, the cops come and they get taken to jail because that's what happened. Um, they happen to know who he was and he, he didn't do any time though for it. Um, but he was charged. Um, so the next thing that happened to me was a babysitter, the redhead. And he happened to be a Mormon and he would babysit us and he would take me, um, and that same friend. And I found out later my brothers into a room and have us give him oral sex and stuff. And he would rub me up and down on his lap and stuff. And so I run and tell my mom, cause that's what you do. He'll go away. Well, he never went away after I told her that. In fact, I saw him the next Sunday at church glaring at me. I knew that, oh my gosh, he knows that I told. He never babysat us again, but that was my expectation was tell your parents and everything's cool. Well, then my brother started doing it to me and my mom made me, I realize now she must have knew, my mom made me um, sleep with the bedroom door open and the hall light on. Um, My brother was sent away shortly after the abuse stopped occurring and it only occurred because I completely freaked out on him but again and I didn't know that that they knew and I wasn't going to tell on because nothing happened to the babysitter nothing was going to happen to my brother Eric either and I have to live with him and I blamed myself for a lot of the time and in fact when I confronted him years later he says yeah we can talk about what we did I said, no, 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 Eric, what you did to me, I won't use last names, but what you did to me. So even he had in his mind to still blame me for it as if it wasn't a great thing. Well, I don't know where I got off on there. I know you were talking about triggers. Well, the part of the story is telling the story. Yeah. And it's kind of like the idea, in my mind, it's the idea that by you saying these things, people are hearing this and they're saying, yeah, that happened to me. Yeah. And they may not be at the point they're ready to talk about it or address it, but the very fact that you're, hey, I'm not alone in this, somebody, the other part of it is that we also need to know that, that you, as horrific as this is, there is a path um, to understanding what happened. Uh, there needs to, we, we've got a lot of corrective paths that need to happen here, how we interview people who've been through these experiences, how, how the police are trained. But mm-hmm. more importantly, and those are big picture things, but, again, it's like how you eat an elephant one bite at a time. First of all, for those of you who are listening to this, we need to watch out for the people we love. Yeah. Um, we need to be willing to listen to un, uh, to listen to unfortunate conversations. That's uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, when, when a child comes to you and says something strange happened, it's time to stop the world. Yeah. And listen to what's being said and say, not, well, do I believe this or not? No, I believe you. Because the only way I'm going to talk to you about what we're talking about tonight was that we talk, and I believe you. Yes. If I didn't, we're just not talking about this. Why would there, we? There yeah. has to be a place where I can say, you know what, I, I, this happened. Yes. And if we start with that, this happened, let's work from there. Um, we always talk about, when we're in history, we always talk about you have to follow the evidence where it leads. It doesn't always lead to the ending you want. Right. And it doesn't always lead to a satisfactory one. Right. It just doesn't. But at least, we know, at least we know we have the courage to say, all right, we followed it, and here's where we wound up. Moving forward, um, there are going to be some other subjects that we're going to talk about specifically, and we can put that in the show bio, exactly what we're 
okay, we're yeah. moving what we're, what you want to talk about next. So I'll give you time to, to think about that. Um, for those of you listening, I want to tell you that this, this is a difficult subject. And in, I got to tell you right now, if you're a, a lady, a woman, a teenager, and you're listening to this, I have to think something like this has happened to you because everywhere I looked, I found it. I don't know a woman who it hasn't happened to. And you to. told me that, and yeah. I was shocked by that. Not one. I don't know one. Because you have such a wider range with the police work and all the things you've done. Um, first of all, it's not you. That is the, Michael, one of the most important parts of counseling is realizing what's yours and what's not yours. This is not yours. This isn't something that you promoted, something that you allowed, something you put yourself in a spot. This is somebody who took advantage of a situation. There's a crime. There's a perpetrator. And just like if I get robbed, somebody did something wrong to me, the same thing here. Something happened to you, and and you've got to find that place to get that story out, wherever that safe place may be. For the guys that are listening to you tonight, you're listening to this, you're, you're like, wow, you really hate guys. No, I just hate what we do sometimes. I hate that we are think the way we think. I think we've got to change the jokes we tell. We have to change what we think is funny. We have to look at our wives, our sisters, our daughters, our nieces. We need to look at our nephews. We need to look at the kids and say the, the most important thing we can do right now is listen to people when they're talking to us. Because a lot of what you're talking to me about right now sounds like there weren't people that just listened to us. They just didn't believe it. And if we can seriously sit down with somebody and say, well, what were you wearing? Right. If we seriously have that conversation on a professional level, then that tells me we're way off asking. We, we're not asking the right questions. And there's a huge problem, and that's why we're talking about it. And and um, in the future, we'll we'll open it up as far as what types of rape there is, what type of abuse there is. We'll give more um, resources, you know, because like I told you before, resources are something that you might not get unless you go to the police. So so we'll we'll open all that up. And I thank you for having me here. All right. Well, we got round one out of the way. We're going to spend some time thinking about what we're going to do. My name is David Fournier. Here at Restoring Grace, thank you for joining us either live or on archive. And we will be posting this show. We'll be posting the link here in probably about 20, 25 minutes. And you can listen to the show as many times and whenever you want. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless.